0: You are listening to Episode 17 of Captain's Share, A Trader's Tale from the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 45. Jet Orbital, 2372, April 20th. There was a part of my mind that nagged about staying too long in port. My bad boys hadn't been in trouble since we'd left Diurnia. It's not like they'd really had that much of a chance in Welliver, and I was a bit leery about giving them new opportunities in Jet. On the other hand, they were my crew, and having spent quite a lot of time with Mr. Hill over the previous months, I knew he really wasn't the thug-like hard case his service jacket portrayed. Mr. Schubert was shaping up to be a rather impressive entrepreneur, The extended stay gave the co-op a chance to shake out their procedures, and if the snippets of conversation I'd overheard were any indication, the results from the port stay would be rather good. Mr. Ricks was still working into the role of morale officer and was spending his off-duty mornings scouring the flea market for games and amusements that the crew might take advantage of while underway. Mr. Wyatt had provided a small cupboard on the mess deck for storage, and the flea market had already yielded a chess set, a backgammon board, and a clever deck of playing cards made of thin sheets of plastic to cut down on the wear and tear of many hands and staniards of use. We'd been visited by the company's insurance examiner soon after docking. I had to file a full report on how we happened to be late on the priority, including plots of the flyby and a full debrief on the encounter with a sarcastic voice. There was rather a lot of attention paid to the flyby and why we didn't skim closer and try a little harder to make the time, particularly in light of the improved wind conditions. I confess I was feeling a little defensive on that score, and I suspect the examiner picked up on it. By comparison, he paid little attention to our rescue of the sarcastic voice. When he was done, he held out his report for me to sign and then credited the ship for a flat fee per diem rate for operations. It was actually a pretty generous rate when compared to our actual expenses, so I thanked him and showed him off the ship. The extended stay also gave me time to hunt down the advanced mathematics courses I'd promised Mr. Schubert. The Union Hall had a complete set of study aids and a variety of ancillary disciplines, including biology, accounting, engineering, and astronomy, in addition to an extensive collection of maths. They weren't free, but they also weren't expensive. I grabbed the whole lot for the ship. By noon on the fourth day, we were ready to fly again. Mr. Wyatt had picked his can, another priority, which would put the two of them neck and neck in terms of the contest. When we'd come out of Welliver, Mr. Wyatt had a very small lead. The run to Diurnia would see that reversed. In neither case was the lead more than a few hundred credits. The jet run earned us nothing, in terms of share, because of the penalty clauses built into the priority. At least, thanks to the insurance, we didn't lose anything either. Mr. Wyatt had planned a rather extensive last-day luncheon at my request. Second Watch had the duty, and I had a little surprise for them. I passed the word among the officers, so we had the whole crew, such as it was, on hand. Just before the lunch mess opened, Mr. Wyatt gave me the nod, and I stuck my head out into the passage and called to Mr. Ricks at the lock. If you'd hang out the Do Not Disturb sign, Mr. Ricks, lunch is about ready. Aye, aye, Captain. In a tick, he walked into the mess deck and skidded to a stop when he saw the whole ship's company lined up in formation there. Miss Thomas gave the command. Company, attend, hut. Ordinary spacer, Zachary Ricks, front and center. He looked a little confused as to where he was supposed to go until Miss Thomas looked pointedly at a spot on the deck in front of where I was standing. He nervously took his post and, after a moment, stood at a passable attention. "'I smiled at him and raised my voice. "'Ladies and gentlemen of the Agamemnon, "'it gives me great pleasure to announce the promotion "'of Ordinary Spacer Zachary Ricks to the rank of Able Spacer.' "'I held out the shoulder patches that indicated his new rank, "'and he took them with a smile. "'Congratulations, Mr. Ricks. "'Try to hold on to them this time.' "'He grinned back at me. "'Thank you, Captain. I will do my best.' "'He snapped a very tight salute and held it until I returned the honor. "'Dismiss the company, Miss Thomas?' Company? Dismissed. Lunch was a joyous occasion, and if nobody was in the lock for a stand or so, I don't think anybody on the docks noticed. Even with the happy hubbub, we'd have heard the call bell. As it was the last afternoon in port, Mr. Hill and Mr. Schubert left very shortly after lunch mess and headed for one last go at the flea market. And I was pleased to see Mr. Paul organizing an outing for later in the evening. Mr. Hill and I would have the duty and would miss it, but I liked the idea that Mr. Ricks and Mr. Schubert would be engaged in activities which, if not strictly speaking, controlled, at least not off on their own getting into trouble for at least part of the evening. My experience in bailing them out of security in Diurnia wasn't one I really wanted to repeat, even though they'd paid off their fines on that first run to Welliver. After we secured the mess deck, I took Mr. Wyatt aside. "'Avery, don't bother with making dinner tonight. "'Take the afternoon and evening off. Enjoy it.' "'He looked startled. "'Skipper?' I smiled. "'You've made every meal on this ship for weeks. "'Mr. Hill and I will be the only ones aboard at dinner time, "'and we can certainly fend for ourselves for one meal. "'In fact, let me handle breakfast for you, too. "'You sleep in tomorrow. "'I'm going to be up all night on O.D. watch anyway, so why not?' "'He seemed somewhat distressed. "'Are you sure, Captain?' I don't mind. Really. I'll make it an order if I have to. Go eat somebody else's cooking for once. And have a nice sleep in tomorrow. You'll feel better for it. He seemed to be adjusting to the idea, if slowly, and I left him to ruminate while I went to grab a nap. Port duty midwatches weren't difficult, and I was caught up on my report, so I really didn't have a lot to do. I had a suspicion that staying awake might be the biggest problem. Around 17.30, I woke up ahead of my alarm and felt refreshed. "'I'd apparently made peace with myself over missing the priorities shipment. "'The greater good of saving lives and influencing people helped, I think. "'There is always the possibility of profit on the next run "'as long as we don't die on the current one. "'It was rather a morbid thought, but I took some comfort in it. "'I snagged a quick shower to freshen up, "'slipped into a fresh ship suit, and headed to the mess deck. "'I found Mr. Schubert going over the co-op's books "'and Mr. Hill looking at a strange block of perforated plastic on the table.' What have you got there, Mr. Hill? When I got closer, I saw what it was, and I was hit by a wave of nostalgia. It's a game, Captain. I found it up at the flea market this afternoon. The guy in the next booth was selling them, and it looked interesting. He called it a crib batch board. His brow furled, crib-something. Cribbage, Mr. Hill. Cribbage. I pronounced it distinctly for him. You know this game, Skipper? My mind flashed back to long evenings across the board from my mother back on Naris. "'I haven't seen a board in decades, Mr. Hill, but I think I remember how to play. "'Does it have the pegs?' "'Pegs, Skipper.' He looked down at the board. "'The ones he had on display did.' I picked up the block and turned it over. A small metal door slid open and revealed six small pegs, molded from some kind of plastic or resin— with the shape of a tiny, stylized rocket on the top as a knob. I held it so Mr. Hill could look in. Pegs, Mr. Hill. I glanced up at the chronometer on the bulkhead just as it was clicking up to 1744. We need to relieve the watch, Mr. Hill, but I suspect we'll have a chance this evening to explore this more. I latched the door shut and handed him the board. Nice find, Mr. Hill. Thank you, Captain. The changeover went smoothly enough, and by 1815, the shore party began gathering on the mess deck. Miss Thomas showed up first in a natty denim jacket and jeans with a very attractive peasant-style blouse under. Nice outfit, Miss Thomas. I think this is the first time I've seen you in civvies. Thanks, Skipper. I don't go out much. She stopped herself. I didn't go out much. I think I might do it a little more often now. She smiled. It was a good look for her. Mr. Ricks showed up next with Mr. Schubert close behind. They were in a standard slacks and jersey shoreside garb. Enough pockets for money tablet and ID, but not enough loose fabric to provide handles should the need arise. I eyed them warily. You gentlemen aren't going out looking for trouble, are you? Mr. Ricks shook his head. No, Captain, but trouble sometimes finds us. Mr. Schubert added, It's all we have, Skipper, and like he said, trouble sometimes finds us. I gave him a stern look. I'm not sure he bought it. Mr. Wyatt joined the party in a very nondescript pair of slacks and a jacket that was a little short at the cuff and long on wear. Good evening, all? Miss Thomas beamed at him. I wouldn't have recognized you out of your ship suit, Avery. Mr. Wyatt grinned and nodded as Chief Gearhart entered the mess deck, looking radiant in a gorgeously tailored jacket and slacks suit, embroidered with a deep red flower pattern. She was accompanied by Mr. Paul in an outfit that convinced me that I really needed to take the menfolk from the ship out to visit a good men's shop in the next port. I took them all in. Well, looks like the gang's all here. Try to stay out of trouble tonight, huh? Miss Thomas grinned. I'll keep an eye on them, Skipper. See that you do, Miss Thomas. They're a rum lot, but the best in the fleet. She did a little mock salute with one finger to her brow. Aye, aye, Skipper, and yo-ho-ho. They all laughed and headed for the lock, I followed in their wake, and Mr. Hill and I watched them parade off the ship, Mr. Paul leading the way, and Mr. Wyatt and the chief in the rear. Mr. Hill chuckled as the lock closed behind them. That looks like trouble on the hoof there, Captain. Are you sure they're safe? Who, the crew? No, Skipper, the station. We shared a laugh at that. What would you like for dinner, Mr. Hill? I'm cooking tonight. He shrugged. I'm open, Skipper, although I'm getting a bit hungry, so fast is better than long. I know what you mean, Mr. Hill. I feel the same way. I'd settle for a ham sandwich, Skipper. Seriously. He was grinning. In the end, I managed to rummage up a few ham sandwiches, some pickles and assorted other small foods, including some fresh fruit and some cookies and ice cream for dessert. After the dinner and the subsequent cleanup, I rummaged in the games locker for a pack of playing cards and took the cribbage board out to the lock along with one of the work stools from the galley. Mr. Hill, if you have a mind to, perhaps we can see if I remember how to play after all these staniards. He grinned at me. You really know how to play this game? Well, I'm pretty sure. It's an old, old game, but my mother loved to play. Until you brought this aboard, I'd forgotten all about it, so I'm a little rusty, but I think I do, yeah. We set up the board and settled in to pass the time while waiting out the crew's return. The sounds echoed down the passage in the quiet of the docked ship. The snapping of the cards on the desk, the rhythmic call and response as we added our pips and counted our scores, took me back to another place, another time. Around 2200, Chief Gearhart turned up alone and found us still playing. I've had enough merriment for one night. What are you two up to? I smiled at her. I'm just teaching Mr. Hill how to beat me at cribbage. He's an apt student. It seems pretty even to me, Skipper. I'm only up by two games. I turned to the Chief. "'Gave up on the party.' She shrugged. "'Dinner was good. Mr. Wyatt has rather a dry wit when left to his own devices, "'but they were heading out for some music and dancing, "'and I'm thinking I'd rather not get underway with a hangover.' "'Probably wise, Chief.' Mr. Hill grinned. "'It's not a fun way to get underway, Chief.' She grinned back at him. "'Bitter voice of experience, Mr. Hill.' He nodded ruefully. "'Well, I'll let you gentlemen get back to your game. I need to get some sleep.' Morning comes before breakfast, and I'll need to get the fuse actors back online before that. We both bid her good night, and she sauntered down the hall. We could clearly hear her walk up the ladder and the faint sound of her stateroom door close. I had no idea sound carried that well in a quiet ship, did you, Mr. Hill? You can't hear that much with all the equipment running, Skipper, but when we're docked in the middle of the night, you can hear an awful lot finished off the game in progress but called it a night for the game with Mr. Hill up seven games to four and demonstrating a fine understanding of the mechanics of the board. I left him to study his and two exam and returned to the never-ending stack of reports and paperwork. Around 0100, I realized that the ship was still quiet and that I hadn't heard the lock open since I'd been in the cabin. It was about time for me to stand up and walk around a little anyway, so I headed down to the brow to check with Mr. Hill. He shook his head. No, Captain, nobody's back yet. I thanked him and headed into the galley to make up a fresh pot of coffee. It was too early to think about organizing breakfast, and I'd already decided that I'd make pancakes with fruit for the morning meal. If the hour were any indication, I suspected that breakfast might be somewhat sparsely attended as it was. The ready light had just blinked on, and I was reaching for a mug when Mr. Hill called from the brow. "'Skipper, you might want to—' The call buzzer rang, interrupting him. "'Come out here—' I heard the lock start to cycle, and I hot-footed it to the lock, arriving just as the big doors latched into the open position. A burly orbital security man stood at the foot of the ramp. Behind him was my crew. I spared a glance to Mr. Hill, who shrugged in return, and then headed out to see what was going on. It didn't take long for me to take in some of the more prurient details. The two ratings looked like they'd escaped the worst of it, whatever it had been. Mr. Schubert had a bruise beginning to form on his right cheek, and Mr. Ricks was licking at a small cut on his upper lip. Mr. Paul's clothing was improved greatly by having the garment he wore in place of a real jacket, torn in several places and one sleeve actually missing. He didn't seem to have any obvious wounds, but he was standing oddly. Mr. Wyatt had one eye swollen almost shut, and his rather nondescript outfit would have to be destroyed because I doubted that that much blood would come out cleanly. I assumed that it wasn't his, at least in its entirety, or security would have had him in medical. Astonishingly, it was Miss Thomas who looked the worst. Her jacket was in actual tatters, and she looked like she'd lost a fight with a revolving door. The effect was exacerbated by the fact that she was missing one shoe. I almost winced to think of how cold that deck must be on her foot. The security man was backed up by a small squad who stood in loose formation behind my lineup of crew... "'and he gave me the chance to finish my once-over before speaking. "'Good morning, Captain. I believe these belong to you.' "'I glanced at his nameplate. "'Yes, Officer Henry. "'They bear an uncanny resemblance to my ship's company. "'They seem a bit more worn than when I saw them last. "'Wherever did you find them?' "'Well, Captain, some of them were under a pile of angry drunken spacers. "'Those two on the end seemed to be trying to dig them out when we arrived.' To my surprise, he nodded at Ricks and Schubert. Schubert shrugged in response to my surprised look. I see. And what do I owe for this rather unfortunate delivery? I swept a hand down the line. Fines? Damages? Medical bills? Officer Henry shrugged. The owner isn't claiming damages, and we couldn't really get a clear handle on who started it. "'Medical says there was no permanent damage to this lot, "'although there are a couple of other crews "'that might be on light duty for a day or so.' "'He shrugged again. "'We won't charge him if you'll promise "'to keep him aboard until you leave.' "'He looked somewhat apologetic. "'Between you and me, Captain, "'I just don't want to do the paperwork. "'It's too close to the end of the shift. "'You have my sympathy and complete understanding, "'Officer Henry. "'May I take them off your hands now? "'Oh, please do, Captain.' "'I turned to them.' Miss Thomas, if you'd gather your little damage control party on the mess deck, I'll be along shortly. Aye, aye, Captain. She led the way, and the rest followed, with Mr. Ricks bringing up the rear, ambling along with a slight limp. The security man just watched them go, and when they were safely aboard, turned back to me. You are getting underway later this morning, aren't you, Captain? That's my plan. I'm assuming the crew will actually be fit enough to stand to for a few stands. They're a spunky bunch, Skipper. i got to give them that. He chuckled. What's the phrase? You should see the other guy? I couldn't help but chuckle a bit in return. Well, they'll have plenty of time to heal up on the ride home, and that should give me a chance to order leashes and muzzles for them before we arrive. He laughed at that and gave me a little salute. Good luck, Captain, and safe voyage. Thank you, Officer Henry, and thanks for bringing them back to me. They're a disreputable lot, but they're all I've got. He chuckled again and turned, waving to his squad, and headed back down the locks toward the lift. I shook my head and climbed back up the ramp into the ship. Mr. Hill keyed the lock closed behind me. I could hear faint murmurs from the direction of the mess deck, and Mr. Hill was looking at me with an almost incredulous smile. Aren't you glad you had the duty tonight, Mr. Hill? He laughed and shook his head. Actually, no, Skipper. I have a feeling that when you find out what happened out there tonight, I'm going to wish I'd been there to see it. "'He caught me funny with that one, and I barked a short laugh. "'Good point, Mr. Hill.' "'I sighed, shook my head, as I walked down the passage "'toward the brightly lit mess deck. "'Their murmuring faded out as I got closer, "'and by the time I got there, it died out completely. "'The crew was lined up and braced more or less at attention. "'Given the nature of their injuries, I didn't press it. Messrs. Ricks and Schubert looked resigned. "'Mr. Paul looked the most ill at ease, "'but I'd look uncomfortable, too, if I were wearing those clothes.' Mr. Wyatt looked apologetic, but Ms. Thomas looked almost radiant. Inwardly, I shrank. Somehow I knew I wasn't going to like this story, but I needed to find out what it was. I sighed dramatically. Anybody have anything to say? Mr. Ricks, your junior man here? Comments? I told you, Captain, sometimes trouble just finds us. So you did, Mr. Ricks. Somehow I thought you might avoid it tonight. So did I, Captain, but we didn't start it. Exactly. Mr. Wyatt started to say something, but thought better and closed his mouth. Mr. Schubert, any comments? No, Captain. We did our best, but security showed up and broke it up. Broke it up, Mr. Schubert. Yes, Captain. We'd almost gotten Miss Thomas and Mr. Wyatt out of the pile when they arrived. Another five ticks and we might have gotten away. I glanced down the line at my first mate and cargo officer. Miss Thomas continued to gaze straight ahead, but Mr. Wyatt was beginning to look a little more abashed. "'Mr. Paul, comments?' "'Well, Skipper, they started it. After dinner, we went down to the gravity well for a few drinks and maybe some dancing. We got to talking with a couple of the other crews.' I waved a hand to indicate his sartorial disarray. "'That must have been rather an interesting talk, Mr. Paul.' He glanced down at himself. "'Yes, Captain.' After a few getting acquainted drinks, they started talking about the ship. Which ship, Mr. Paul? This ship, Captain, the Agamemnon. Curiouser and curiouser. I stepped down the line to where Mr. Wyatt was beginning to fidget. You were privy to this conversation about the ship, Mr. Wyatt? Well, yes, Captain, we all were. And what were these comments that caused such damage to your clothing and bodies? And I trust all of this blood isn't yours, Mr. Wyatt. He looked down and... "'took in the dark shambles of his coat and shirt. "'I can't be sure, Skipper. Some of it's mine. "'I had a nosebleed for a while. "'Go on, Mr. Wyatt. "'Well, we got to talking about the ship, "'running the double from Welliver, "'missing the priority but rescuing the voice. "'Unfortunately, the Agamemnon "'has somewhat of a bad reputation, Captain. "'I'm aware of that, Mr. Wyatt. "'I thought we were working to turn that around.' "'He looked more than a bit abashed at that. "'Yes, well... The news hasn't spread yet. I noticed that his eyes kept being drawn to Miss Thomas, but he kept bringing them back to the front. It was almost like he was trying not to look at her. I see. I let him off the hook and moved down to Miss Thomas. Miss Thomas? Comments? I thought you were going to keep an eye on them. I did, Captain. When they started talking about what a bad ship the Agamemnon was, I kept Mr. Paul from starting anything more rash. Sticks and stones, Captain. I glanced down at Mr. Paul. He looked at his feet. Something else happened. Well, they were bad-mouthing the company, too, Captain, and at one point I thought Mr. Wyatt might take serious offense. I looked to Mr. Wyatt. Well, DST is no more a corporate vulture than any other freight hauler skipper. They had no right. He cut himself off as I raised an eyebrow. Corporate vulture, Miss Thomas. She shrugged. They had some stronger words. Nasty words like unreliable and untrustworthy, that sort of thing. I nodded. I see, Miss Thomas, but that apparently didn't start the fight. Well, no, Captain, but it was sort of the prelude. And judging from the smell, I'm guessing that the drinks kept flowing during this friendly discussion of the relative merits of ship and company? Yes, Captain, although I think some of the smell is coming from the spilled drinks. The waiter had just brought the next round when her voice trailed off. The rest of them looked suddenly like perhaps it would be a good time for a hull breach, "'When what, Miss Thomas?' "'When it started, Captain.' "'I see. And what was the trigger?' She mumbled something that I couldn't quite understand. Miss Thomas, in all the weeks I've known you, I have never heard you mumble.' That got a short snicker from Mr. Schubert that he quickly squelched. "'He started talking about the Captain, Captain.' "'Me?' I was so surprised that I just blurted the word. "'Yes, Captain.' We'd had a rather lengthy discussion of the flyby, how we'd planned to try to graze the planet, but were concerned for the safety of the ship and all. And that led to a discussion of me, Ms. Thomas. Yes, Captain. She forgot herself and focused on my face for a heartbeat before resuming the approved stare into nothing. They seem to know you from before. I've been here many times as mate. They said that, Captain. They made some comments about how you never go out carousing with the crews. And that's what started it? No, Captain. They also had some unkind words about your parents and their marital status. And that's what started it. She shook her head slightly. No, Captain. They got going on that flyby thing again. What about the fly-by, Miss Thomas? Well, Captain, they thought we should have taken the first course and delivered the priority on time. That's as may be, Miss Thomas. Dockside piloting is always easier than doing it with the sails up in the deep dark. I looked at her with a frown that wasn't what started it, was it? For the first time, she looked uneasy. No, Captain. Then what did start it, Miss Thomas? She mumbled something. You're mumbling again, Miss Thomas. She mumbled the same thing again. I could just make out a phrase. He called you, and then it petered off. Mr. Wyatt supplied the offending words. He called you a chicken, Captain. I almost laughed out loud. Miss Thomas stiffened, "'Yes, Captain, he called you a chicken, "'and then he started putting his thumbs in his armpits "'and flapping his elbows, making squawky chicken noises. "'It was intolerable, Skipper. "'Then what happened, Miss Thomas?' "'She shrugged. "'I decked him. "'I had the unnerving experience of hearing Mr. Hill's barked laugh "'echo down the passage and remembered how well sound carried. "'To his credit, he choked it off after the single explosion. "'His friends didn't take kindly to this, I take it.' "'She shrugged again. No, Captain. About half a dozen of them came over the table after me. More like ten. That was Mr. Ricks. Was that when you got dragged into the melee, Mr. Ricks? He shook his head. No, Skipper. She was doing pretty well on her own. Chooch and I just kind of hung back and watched the floor show. He nodded at Mr. Schubert. On her own? Well, Mr. Paul tried to help, Skipper. I looked at Mr. Paul. It doesn't sound like you were that effective, Mr. Paul. No, Skipper, I was never very good at bar fights, but I managed to absorb some of the damage. Mr. Wyatt, you were just standing by? Not at all, Captain, but do you know how hard it is to try to restrain a heavy worlder? You were trying to restrain Miss Thomas. Well, at least get her out of the bar and into the passage, Skipper, yes. She glared at him. Yes, and if you'd have given that one monkey as much attention as you were given to me, we'd have beaten those. She remembered herself and went back to attention. I felt the unreasonable and almost irrepressible urge to laugh. It would have set a bad example, and I managed to stifle it. Hearing Mr. Hill's not-quite-stifled giggles from the brow was not helping my self-control. I sighed. Well, you're home now and in more or less one piece. We'll be getting under way soon, and, Ms. Thomas, you have the watch and a few stands. You might want to grab a snack and a few ticks of shut-eye before you relieve me at 0600. I glanced at the chrono. It seemed much later, but it was just going on zero two hundred. Yes, Captain. I stepped back from the line and said dismissed. Mr Paul led the way off the mess deck, followed closely by Mr Schubert and Mr Ricks. Mr Wyatt helped Miss Thomas find a couple of sandwiches in the cooler before they followed in the wake. I sat at the table and was just holding my breath until I heard them get to the top of the ladder. Miss Thomas was practicing her low alto growl on Mr. Wyatt, and even though I couldn't hear what she said, the effect of that heavy world voice was intoxicating. I could hear their footfalls on the way up the ladder and a moment of silence at the top. One door opened. One door closed. Other than a short and muffled giggle, I didn't hear anything else. I put my head down on the table and laughed quietly to myself for a few heartbeats and then crossed to the coffee pot and drew two mugs. I took them out to the brow, and Mr. Hill and I settled in for a few more games of cribbage as we counted down the ticks left to the watch. If there were any other sounds on the ship, they were drowned out by the slapping of the cards and the counting of the points as we played. Chapter 46. Jet Orbital, 2372, April 21st. Miss Thomas and Mr. Schubert showed up to relieve the watch right on time. I had pancake batter and several kinds of fruit ready, and the bacon was staying warm in the oven. Good morning. What kind of pancakes would you like this morning? Grand apple for me, if you have it, Captain. Miss Thomas seemed none the worse for wear after her excursions of the night before, not counting the bruising on her forehead, left eye, and along the right side of her jaw. I wasn't sure what the swollen-looking lip was from. Just plain batter for me, sir. Mr. Schubert looked a little rumpled, and his bruised cheek was looking rather painful. He appeared in good humor, though. I like mine with just lots of syrup and butter. Of course, coming right up. The nice thing about pancakes is that with a hot griddle and the right mix, it really takes next to no time to make up fresh cakes. By the time they'd retrieved coffee and settled at the table, I had plates of hot food ready. Mr. Schubert excused himself to relieve the brow watch and returned with Mr. Hill. I had Mr. Hill's blueberry pancakes already and was still trying to decide what kind I wanted when Chief Gerhardt sauntered up onto the mess deck to join our merry band. Her eyes widened when she saw Miss Thomas's face and she slowed for a step but offered no comment. Good morning, Chief. What kind of pancakes would you like? Good morning, Captain. If I could have mine plain with some sliced apple on the side. Coming right up, Chief. She crossed to the pot and pulled a mug of her own before taking a seat. It took me a tick to realize that she'd left a space beside Miss Thomas instead of taking her usual position immediately to her left. How are the girls this morning, Chief? Yeah, they're waking up, Skipper. They had a nice sleep, and they're just putting on their makeup now. She eyed Mr. Schubert's bruised face and then turned to look at Miss Thomas. Miss Thomas saw the look and grinned. You missed the party, Chief. Things really started jumping after you left. So it would seem. Did you win, lose, or draw? Miss Thomas shrugged. I think we have to call it a draw. Across the table, Mr. Schubert nodded in agreement. Orbital security showed up before we could get Miss Thomas and Mr. Wyatt out of the pile-up, sir. I think if we'd had five more ticks, we might have claimed to win. The chief turned to look at Mr. Schubert when he spoke, but then turned back to Miss Thomas. For somebody who doesn't go ashore much, Gwen, you sure know how to have a good time. Miss Thomas chuckled a little. I slipped a hot plate of griddle cakes onto the table in front of the chief, and she turned two on them with a will, while I settled onto a pile of grand apple pancakes of my own. Mr. Schubert made short work of his and excused himself to go to the brow. Mr. Hill was only a few ticks behind him and headed for a short nap. We had about three stands before the tugs showed up, and I intended to follow his example myself. Around 06.30, Mr. Wyatt joined us, looking like two kilometers of corrugated metal, and at once a bit sheepish, but proud of himself. It was a most astonishing expression. I'd finished my pancakes and was fighting the urge to make another stack, so I took the excuse to get up and cross to the griddle. What kind of pancakes would you like this morning, Mr. Wyatt? He pulled his eyes away from Ms. Thomas, who was smiling back at him, and turned to me with concern, splashed across his face. I can fix my own pancakes, Skipper. He started to head toward the griddle, but I waved him off. Grab some coffee, Avery. Have a seat. I can handle a few pancakes. He looked uncertain. I can make it an order if need be, Mr. Wyatt. I grinned at him. He smiled back. Well, okay, thank you, Captain. Any blueberries left? Coming up. He crossed to the urns and drew a mug of coffee. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw him start to take his usual seat to the left of the chief before he registered that the chief was sitting in the spot he usually claimed as his own, leaving a space for him beside Ms. Thomas. He hesitated for a heartbeat and the chief leaned sideways, giving him extra room to take the spot she'd left. It was a clear indication. He gave a shrug and sat with a little smile in the chief's direction and a shy nod in Miss Thomas's. The chief leaned forward over her almost empty plate to get a good look at Mr. Wyatt's face. "'You look like you had a little fun last night, too, Avery. Don't you know officers are supposed to set an example?' She was grinning. He laughed a little ruefully in return. While Mr. Ricks and Mr. Schubert were observing, and it wasn't until the second crew started to help the first that they stopped laughing long enough to try to help. She chuckled. I'm almost sorry I missed it. Mr. Wyatt shook his head gently, but still winced. Don't be. I said almost. I slipped a plate of pancakes in front of Mr. Wyatt and started to clean up the galley a bit while they shared some good-humored table conversation on the relative merits of various bar fights they had known... I was surprised at the depth of knowledge on the subject that the chief seemed to have, while Mr. Wyatt seemed to be lacking a ready supply of war stories. I pondered my own limited experience in that regard. Not that I hadn't occasionally been around when they broke out, but I was usually close enough to the periphery to slip out without much damage. The clock ticked up to 0700, and I started to secure the griddle and dispose of the leftover batter when Mr. Paul dragged onto the mess deck. His face wasn't too badly marked, if you didn't count the bloodshot eyes and the pinched hangover look. "'Good morning, Mr. Paul. I've just secured the griddle, but if you'd like some pancakes?' He moaned a little. "'No, thank you, Captain. I don't think I can eat just now.' He shuffled to the coffee pot and drew a mug. He settled gingerly into his usual seat and leaned forward onto the table, his head hanging forward off his neck. The chief smiled sympathetically. "'Looks like you had fun last night, too, Mr. Paul.' He snorted and winced. Bloody pirates. It was his only comment, and then he sipped a little of his coffee. I finished securing the galley and, out of respect for Mr. Paul's condition, didn't rattle things any more than absolutely necessary. Hangovers were not something I had a lot of experience with either, but I knew how debilitating it was to have people making fun of you by making unnecessary noise while you suffered one. I refilled my mug and took my seat. Since we're all here, are we ready to go? "'Cans have been locked down since yesterday, Captain. "'Stores are topped off. "'Engineering's ready. "'Fuse actors came up nicely, "'and the sail generators are on safety standby. "'We restocked on cartridges for environmental. "'I even picked up a couple of extras.' "'She shrugged. "'Won't hurt, they've got a real long shelf life. "'Astrogation was updated as of yesterday, Captain. "'I put a tentative plot up, "'but I'll need to refine for actual pull-out time. "'Should be in Diurnia in about six weeks.' "'I turned to Miss Thomas.' "'Sounds like we're ready to go, Miss Thomas.' She nodded. "'I think so, too, Skipper. "'Ship's in good order, and the crew is present or accounted for. "'All right, then. "'I'm going to go grab a couple stands of shut-eye. "'I should be up at 0900. "'Get ready for a 10-hundred pull-out. "'Mr. Wyatt, if you'd organize some box lunches.' "'Already on it, Skipper. "'Boxes are staged in the ready-cooler. "'Thank you, Mr. Wyatt.' I rose to leave the mess deck, and the chief rose, too, "'slotting her dishes into the cleaner. "'I need to check the girls and get stuff secured myself.' I'll be back up to help with the lunches in a bit, Avery. Thank you, Chief. The more the merrier. I fell into a dreamless sleep almost as soon as my head hit the pillow, and I had to fight my way back up when my tablet bipped me awake. I took a longer shower than normal and used a little colder water than I was comfortable with to try to shake some of the cobwebs out. I'd been pushing too hard and needed to get some more rest while underway. I chuckled at that thought as I shut off the water and toweled off. On the mess deck, I found the lunchbox brigade was just finishing up the small pile of lunches. Miss Thomas smiled when I came onto the mess deck. A courier came for you while you were sacked, Skipper. She nodded to a middling-sized package on the end of the table. I grabbed a cup of coffee and then went to look at it. The label indicated it was from Plunkett's Junkets and showed an office address up on the three deck. I pulled the tab and opened it up. Inside, I found a note and a rather large folio. I scanned the note before looking over at the curious eyes, doing their best not to stare. It's from the company that owns the voice. I held up the note and read it aloud. Dear Captain Huang, Words alone cannot express my gratitude for your help in rescuing Captain Allison and the passengers and crew of the sarcastic voice. Your selfless actions and the hospitality offered by your ship and crew can never be repaid, but permit me to offer you these small tokens of our esteem and the assurance that, should there ever be anything we can do to help you, you need only to ask. Sincerely, Jacob J. Plunkett, CEO, Plunkett's Junkets. I looked up at the beaming faces. Ms. Thomas came over and looked in the package curiously. What'd they send, Skipper? I pulled out the folio and held it up so all could see. The cover read, A Hundred Staniers of Cinema, 2270 to 2370. Inside were hundreds of entertainment cubes, cleverly slotted into pages labeled with the decades. Mr. Wyatt laughed. That should hold us for a while. Miss Thomas smiled. That's a nice touch. How thoughtful. I handed her the folio to thumb through and reached down to pick up the loose packaging when I spotted another slip in the bottom of the box. Curious, I pulled it out and stared at it. The shock on my face must have showed because everybody froze in place and looked at me. Mr. Wyatt asked, What is it, Skipper? I had to blink a couple of times to actually process it. It's a receipt for shipment delivery on our last load. They looked at each other and then back at me. I tried to explain. Plunkett paid the freight on the cans from Welliver. Mr. Wyatt focused first. Plunkett paid? At what rate, Captain? I looked up at them. I couldn't believe it myself, and I held the slip in my hands. Full priority. There was stunned silence for a heartbeat. Miss Thomas cocked her head in incredulity. Full priority as in what, Skipper? As in the priority rate we contracted for in Welliver. They paid it in full as if we'd made it. I held up the receipt so they could see it. A single line was scrawled across the bottom in a black stylus. It's the least we could do, J.P., There was a moment or two of silence before Mr. Paul raised his head and blinked back his headache. Can we keep it, Captain? He winced as we all laughed, and I assured him that it was a done deal. The funds were already in the ship's accounts. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is the mason's apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.